Hello and welcome to episode 33 of the Replacement Level Podcast. I'm Ross Carey. Thanks for listening. Thrilled to be joined right now by Bob Nightingale. Bob is the national baseball writer for USA Today and a longtime Hall of Fame voter. You can give Bob a follow on Twitter at B Nightingale. Bob, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. Uh, sure, my pleasure, Ross. Bob, tell me what initially attracted you to baseball in the first place. You know, initially, I was a coming uh, NBA, and then a uh, a guy coming to Kansas City Royals named Tracy Ringlesby, who's in the Hall of Fame himself, the writer's wing, uh, talked me into it. Said, "Hey, you love coming baseball? Love to come up with you." And so that's what happened. Started covering the Kansas City Royals in uh, 1986, and moved on to cover the uh, went to those times to cover the Padres, the Angels, the Dodgers. And then uh, went went to uh, USA Today. Bob, we're going to do a lot of Hall of Fame talk today. But before we get into some of that, I want to ask you about Masahiro Tanaka. I know you've been covering the story all winter. Realistically, how many teams are in the mix now that he's posted? And where do you think he ends up? Well, you would think he wants to go to a big market team. I mean, you know, it's silly for any of the 30 teams not to bid $20 million, at least have a chance to talk. Unless they're told that, hey, you know, you're wasting your time. Uh so I would think most of the teams would uh, be involved. But then it's, you know, where does he want to go? Does he want to be a Yankee, a Red Sox, you know, a Dodger? Uh, I got things, a big market team. I think Chicago Cubs is maybe the team that offers the most money. Uh, it'll be interesting if he, if he wants to go there. We're hearing lots of big numbers, annual value anywhere between 17 and $20 million a year. Are we possibly looking at six years, 120 for his contract? Yeah, I, mean, I think he's, you know, the sky is the limit because so much uh, these teams have so much money now they can afford anything. So I've been told it's going to cost at least seventeen to twenty million, you know, a year, uh, you know, for this guy. And you think, you know, times six or maybe even even times seven. Certainly, uh, he'll have a, the largest contract ever given to a, a Japanese player. What do the people you talk to tell you about what kind of player he will be? A frontline starter. You know, as a uh, number one, number two type guy, and you better be if you're paying that kind of money. He's got a lot of, in- you know, a lot of uh, innings in an arm, throw a lot of innings, so, you know, still buyer beware. It's not like this guy can't break down like anybody else. Uh, so we'll see. But in a, uh, he's coming in a prime time where, you know, teams have so much money, there's so little on the free agent market, uh, where, yeah, he'll, he'll get a lot more, I think, than people think. You know, I wouldn't even be shocked to see him get an eight year deal. Let's switch over to the Hall of Fame. Before we can really do that, we have to talk a bit about steroids and PEDs. You started covering baseball with the Royals in the mid-'80s. When did you first realize that PEDs and steroids were really coming into the game? Pretty close right around that time, maybe a year or two later. I mean, the big one was a, uh, every talk about the Oakland A's and, and the Texas Rangers. So you probably saw it in, uh, certainly no live in 88, you know, with, with Conseco and McGuire, you know, and then you had you know, the Juan Gonzalez, Sierra. You know, played Rodriguez type guys in Texas. Uh, but those two teams stood up more than anybody else. Like, okay, now how come these guys are built like a uh, offensive lineman? You know, I still remember, you know, the chance of uh, steroids when the A's were in the uh, playoffs in 88. Uh, I want to say, you know, when they played the Red Sox. Yeah, and I remember that growing up in Boston in like 88, 89, people were chanting steroids, steroids, steroids at Jose Canseco. And it was just sort of that like, you know, good-natured uh, opposing team heckling another player, star player. 
there was obviously a strong belief among your average fan that Canseco was using steroids at that point, but no one really seemed to care. No one was certainly doing anything to stop anything. How did this issue go from, oh, we're just going to heckle a few players to the most polarizing issue in the sport? Yeah, I don't think anybody really cared until the record started getting shattered. It was a, uh, you know, when McGuire and Sosa did their great home run race in 98, you know, you had to be foolish not to know that they were, you know, juiced up. Uh, but no one cared because it was a fun event and everything else. It wasn't until Bonds, when you know, when Bonds started breaking the records, uh, you know, suddenly when he hit 73, it's like that annoyed people because it was almost like McGuire and Sosa were lovable. Bonds wasn't. So I don't think America was ready to see that record being shattered, particularly so quickly because it was so fresh in our minds and our hearts and such a fun thing to watch. And all of a sudden, you know, boom, it was, it was a commonplace thing. So it was almost like hey, what we saw wasn't magical after all. It was just, you know, part of the times. Bob, I've made this comparison a lot on the podcast. I want to get your take on it as well. Do you see an ethical difference between the players in the 80s, 90s, 2000s that were using steroids compared to the players in the 40s, 50s, 60s that were using amphetamines? Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a, a different, you know, a different thing. I think amphetamines are great just for people to recover and stuff like that. Even now you hear people joke, we should have amphetamines on day games because the, the, the play gets so sluggish out there. And I think amphetamines was, it was just so common, like maybe 95% uh, of guys were probably doing amphetamines at, at some point. You know, I, I think it'd be hard to find one or two Hall of Famers that never used amphetamines. Where steroids, I think it was a, uh, just because they were throwing the ball harder and, uh, and hitting it further than anybody else. I think that's what became polarizing, you know, where maybe 40, maybe, you know, 30, 40% of guys in baseball were using steroids or amphetamines. It was more like a 95% thing. You think the number was really that high? You think during the peak of steroid use during the steroid era that the number of players using was around 40%? Oh, I do. I do. Particularly the, uh, you know, with, with the pitchers, everybody like wants to talk about the home run guys. I think there are plenty of guys, utility infielders I know, were using steroids. They never would have sniffed the... Uh, you know, big leagues without it, it just kept them around. And certainly the, the relievers, I mean, they loved doing that just because, you know, they could throw uh, hard, you know, four or five days a week. Bob, do you think there are already players enshrined in the Hall of Fame who have used steroids? I do. I think we could have, you know, you're three guys, I think two or three guys, uh, very possibly. You know, and we look back and say, wait a minute now, how how is that possible? Yeah, I, I think we'd be uh, naive to think that no one's used steroids that's already in the Hall of Fame. Bob, how do you think that the writers have handled the issue in general? Well, I think poorly. I think it's been so hypocritical. You know, I have uh, problems with guys that say, okay, I don't want for, vote for Bonds. I won't vote for Clemens. But yet I'll, I'll vote for, you know, I've got a couple of guys in the ballot who were, you know, pretty well known steroid users, but just because they weren't got, caught, I say, I'll, I'll vote for them. It's like, you know, that's why I vote for everybody, just judge on their, on their performance, because we don't know 100% you know, who was clean and who was dirty. So I think it's a whole lot easier to say, let's just judge on performance because there was a level playing field. And, uh, you know, none of the guys we're voting for now have ever tested positive. No one got tested positive uh, that could be wiped off the ballot this year is Rafael Pomero. I think the writers are kind of letting people down. No one can get a uh, objective thing. 
Yeah, you mentioned objectivity, and I, I think that's important when voting, and that brings us to Bagwell and Piazza. I have a problem with their omissions. Look, I think all of the deserving PED guys should be in, but if someone is keeping out Bonds or Clemens because they were part of federal investigations or McGuire because he admitted use, I disagree with those decisions, but I understand it. With Piazza and Bagwell, there's no clear evidence that either one of them used. There's no federal investigation. They were not named the Mitchell Report. No teammate never claimed to have seen them used. No drug dealer ever claimed to have provided them with steroids. And all that being said, they might have used, but given that we just don't know, I have a problem with keeping them out. Yeah, well, I, I think that's it's almost the, the, the eye test and what teammate, teammates and the, the opposition have told them. You know, uh, you know, there, there's guys uh, that have a squeaky clean image. I've told there were steroid users, uh, you know, that haven't been the ballot yet. We'll see what happens when, when their time comes. So my thing is, uh, hey, Roger Clemens, you know, we can all have our suspicions. But he got off on all federal charges. Uh, Barry Bonds, the only one was obstruction charge. Uh, Sosa has always denied it. So, you know, why why are we putting those guys in a different category than the guys that we strongly suspect? But you know, they just haven't been caught, so they're, they're, they get the uh, free pass. That's why I think. But let's just put guys in on uh, on performance and not worry about who did what and who didn't do what. Well, I agree with that. And the Hall of Fame is a museum. I think a museum should accurately reflect the history of the game. And not all of that history is pretty or perfect. I mean, certainly the league was segregated for 50 plus years. You had gambling running rampant in the early 20th century. I think the Hall of Fame should acknowledge all of these things. I think Barry Bond should be in the Hall of Fame. I think Pete Rowe should be in the Hall of Fame. And I think that the Hall itself should acknowledge what they did. I think they should acknowledge gambling and steroids, but still honor the best players who have ever played, because that's, to me, what the Hall of Fame should be. But what do you think of the Hall of Fame and how they've handled the issue? Well, when the writers handle it, which we always have, but just doesn't seem to be working, uh, you know, I'd be very curious what the uh, what Greg Maddox Hall of Fame vote. I mean, there's no reason in the world he shouldn't be, you know, very close to 100%, 100%. But yet, because he played in the steroid, steroid era, does that mean some guys will keep a vote from him uh, just because he played in that era, even though he obviously was was a clean player? So, you know, those type of things. And I, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, we had the segregation, segregation area era where, okay, you know, those guys weren't playing against the, the, the best players in the world, but yet, you know, those guys got in the Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, the dead ball era, we're not taking stuff away from uh, Bob Gibson because the mound was high back then. You know, those type of things. You know, and the, uh, you know, we talked to Hall of Famers, you know, a guy like Bob Gibson. Last year, I remember seeing the culture in him in the Cooperstown uh, Hotel there. And, uh, and he says, you know, thank God steroids weren't around when I played because I don't know what I would have done. I probably would have done something because I wouldn't want that edge. That's what these steroids were about, getting that type of edge. And, uh, you know, general managers and managers, let's be honest, they wanted those steroid guys on their team. Because they ate right, they uh, got their sleep, they weren't running the streets at night. Obviously, spent hours and hours uh, in the gym each day. Those are the most dedicated guys you had in a ball club. One of the things that strikes me as ridiculous is when you look at the managers that just got in through the Veterans Committee this year, it was Tony La Russa, uh, Joe Torre, and Bobby Cox, three managers who managed in the peak and the height of the steroid era. I don't think there are three managers that benefited more from their players using than those three guys, yet they're all in. They're not held accountable at all. Bud Selig will eventually get in as well. What do you think about the hypocrisy there that we're holding the players accountable and no one else? Yeah, it's a thing where... uh 
you know, we don't know who, who did what and, and who did it, how often it was used. I mean, you know, we hear Andy Pettit. I mean, just when he comes up, you know, the beloved Andy Pettit, hey, he was a you know, steroid user. You know, he, he says he only used once. That's, you know, almost impossible to believe. But that that type of thing, too. Uh, you know, same so. I mean, never never caught, never admitted anything, no federal investigations against him. But we're labeling him, you know, down as if he, if he admitted like uh, McGuire did. And he's never done such a thing. So it's a, uh, that's why I think we need to do it just, just on performance. And remember, that was part of the steroid, steroid era. Uh, a guy like Barry Bonds and Clement not to be in the Hall of Fame would be a shame because those are the two greatest players of, the, of their era. And not all time. I mean, Roger Clemens from the best power pitcher of our time. And you can certainly make the argument that Bonds is one of the top two or three players of all time. Yeah, with Bonds, I did a lot of research about his career wins above replacement, and I tried to adjust it down given the steroid use, which is nearly impossible to do. It's just an estimate, but between the ages of 34 and 42, he accumulated the most war of anybody, any other player in history. That's not surprising. He's about nine wins ahead of Hannes Wagner. So when I made some adjustments down based on historical averages and his production before, it knocked about 30 wins off of his career total. However, that still puts him in the top 10 all-time. The idea that he wouldn't have been a Hall of Famer without steroids is simply ridiculous. Right. No, a fabulous player. And I'm on the belief, too, is when Sosa McGuire had all the popular everything else that young Bonds you know, might have said, hey, if you want to see what I can do if I cheat, uh, I'll show you. And I was Ron Bonds a lot that year, tons of his games. And if he had any pitches to hit like McGuire and Sosa did, he would have hit 95 home runs. I mean, I've never seen anybody that just doesn't miss a pitch like that. And, uh, you know, that, that's a factor of being a, a great, great player. Uh, you're still going to make contact with the ball. Granted, I mean, you know, steroids does help your confidence. You have a, uh, just like HGH and, uh, and amphetamines, gives you great confidence level, too. But I, I've never seen a season like that. And I've still, still never seen anybody in the game's history that can change a game like Bonds where opposing managers, you know, would uh, work out their strategy just where he was going to hit in the lineup, what spot he was going to come up in that inning, where he was, uh, you know, nobody was a more feared player when he came to play. Bond certainly has a negative reputation among many media members. He has that with some players and with some managers, too. You covered him. You spent a lot of time around him at one point. What were your impressions on Barry Bonds? You know, I enjoyed him. I mean, I saw the bad sides, like like other people. A lot was like rough. Once you got inside his uh, circle, once you talked to him one on one, a fascinating guy, brilliant, brilliant baseball uh, mind. I mean, if he wanted to, he could be a great manager. Surely he would be a uh, you know the greatest hitting coach of our of our time. Uh, but but it's amazing the stuff you talk to giant players, just the stuff he would say on the bench and say, "Watch out for this." We just blow their mind how smart the guy was. Did you see the surly side? Did you see the guy that was also a jerk? Oh, he could do that. Yeah, I mean, it's other players too. But yeah, he could do that. And he, he had to have a, a wall around him almost to become great. He had to have that chip on his shoulder. I remember for uh, coming to San Diego Padres and Tony Gwynn, who was like a, you know, the nicest, most affable you know, player of all time in baseball. Uh, you know, he was friends with Bonds, and he would tell Bonds, hey, just be nice to the guys. Be nice to writers and stuff and see what happens. And uh, and Bonds tried it. I remember he went back to Gwen like a month later, said, I, you know, I tried it to you. I just couldn't do it. I just wasn't the same player by, by being nice. So, Bob, tell me about your voting philosophy. What do you look at to determine who should be in and who should be out? 
for for the so for the PED, it's just I, I disregard that. Who's ever had maybe uh, the best numbers, best performance during their era? Uh, the one guy I felt bad for last year was Bell is is Jack Morris with all these complete games, everything else. You know, I could tell that's when his ERA was uh, three nine. A lot of times he's pitching the score and everything else. So I, I feel bad that he likely won't get in. I thought I think for sure he was a Hall of Famer. And I think we'll get in one day with, with the Veterans Committee. Uh, I vote for uh, Fred McGriff every year. Uh, you know, he's not doesn't get a high total. He's a guy who got hurt by the steroid era just because I'm convinced he was a clean player, known well. Hit four ninety three home runs, you know, uh, I don't know, twelve or thirteen years, over thirty home runs, a hundred ribbies. Nobody was more consistent, but yet because he, you know, wasn't taking stuff, his numbers got dwarfed. You know, so I feel bad for those two guys. I think one day Tim Raines will get in. I think it's just been tough with the uh the, the balding and uh people not realizing how great of a, a, a leadoff hitter he was. Kinda of got lost in the uh in Ricky Henderson uh stuff, just how great Ricky was. I, I believe one day he'll get in as well. So did you fill up all 10 slots on your ballot this year? I did. Last year, I think I did two for the first time. But I didn't use nine last year. For for years, I used you know two, three, four maximum. But I, uh, you know, the, the guys I left off that voted for before, one Rafael Pomero, just didn't have room on my ballot. And Pomero, unlike the other PED guys, did actually get caught with the testing program. So I justified that in my mind. And one guy I feel bad about uh, leaving off is uh, Alan Trammell, who I've voted for in the past. Well, with someone like Trammell, are you forced to sort of play games with your ballot in the sense that, look, I think Trammell should be in. I think he's deserving, but it's clear he's not going to get in by the writers. He might get in by the Veterans Committee, but he has no chance getting in by the writers here. So do you vote for someone else because voting for Trammell at this point is essentially like a wasted vote? And do you try and vote for someone that might actually have a chance to get in? Yeah, not so much that. You said, you know, at first I didn't vote for Trammell, and then got got convinced by other people and studying stats and stuff like that. And you know, plus he's you know, a Hall of Fame person, so it wasn't like a uh, a thing where I thought, okay, I can take him off now because he's got no chance again. And I don't think he does have a chance. By the same token, I vote for Samuel Sosa and, and McGriff, and I'm not sure either those guys have a chance either. So you voted for both Sosa and McGriff this year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I probably keep Sosa on as long as he's uh, uh, eligible. Just, you know, that many home runs, that many years over 60 home runs. You know, on, on the flip end, people find funny, but I don't vote for McGuire. It's not the steroid thing. Just the, the fact that McGuire had such a low career average in, I think, 261 and, uh, and a low hit total, just a 1,600 hits. That bothered me. A lot of, a lot of uh, off-seasons, too. Where I consider Sosa a much better all-around player than McGuire. Bob, do you use any of the advanced metrics to make your decisions or to help evaluate players for the Hall of Fame? You know, I, I really don't. Uh, you know, I mean, I'll look at it if it's brought up to me. But I don't study him that way. I'm a little bit of a believer too that you know, when this guy played, yeah, he was a Hall of Fame in my eyes. Sometimes I'll I'll change a little bit. Uh, like Mike Mussina, I never really thought of a Hall of Famer. And I didn't vote for Museum this year because I didn't have room my ballot. But the fact you got all those wins and did it in the AL East, you know, that guy's a Hall of Famer. Uh, Jeff Kent didn't make my ballot. Uh, when I have room, I'll, I'll put him on the ballot as well. Just because he had those type of numbers at the second baseman. Not that he jumped out. To me, Robbie Alomar jumped out. He was a Hall of Famer, you know, very early in his career. Jeff Kent kind of grew in you. 
my problem with that way of thinking sometimes is that's really just about the sniff test. And you know better than anyone, having covered a team and being a beat writer many times over, that when you're covering the Royals, let's say, how many times did you actually see the Astros? So if you're not actually seeing these guys play and you're not really looking at the numbers, then what are you sort of basing your opinion on? Yeah, right. I mean, you know, we didn't see the you know, Astros much. Or, you know, people didn't see a Craig Bijou uh, play. And I always thought that Bijou, uh, with his defense and playing different positions, I always thought of him, okay, this guy, this guy's a Hall of Famer. Bagwell, not so much, just because he was the first baseman. And you say, okay, where's, where's those home runs? You better be a home run hitter as a first baseman. I remember talking to Mike Piazza, the greatest hitting catcher of all time. And uh, early on in his career, they kept talking about moving him to first base. He says, you know what, if I move to first base, I'm a dime a dozen. If I stay behind the plate, I got a chance to be in the Hall of Fame. He was exactly right just those home run hitters, if you're playing at first base or a, a corner outfield spot, you have a whole lot tougher time making it as you do a, uh, you know, like a Jeff Kent at second base or something like that. So that's a no for Mucina and Kent, at least for right now, although you might vote for them in years to come when you have room on your ballot. The three other notable newcomers on this year's ballot are Greg Maddox, Frank Thomas, and Tom Glavin. Hard to leave any of those guys off. Right, yeah. I mean, uh, all three, I think, say, well, Max would be a shame if he doesn't, you know, get 98, 99% vote. I'd love for him to break Tom Seaver's mark, particularly a guy who was clean, pitching the Sterling era, and uh, dominating like he did. Gladden, 300 winner. And Frank Thomas, you know, just a uh, prolific uh, home run hitter, plus hit for average and everything else. I think he kind of got lost in the shuffle. Uh, so I never thought he was a story guy. But he was a guy who always wanted the writers to start writing about this stuff because it was annoying him that these guys were going to free thoughts. Yeah, Thomas seemed to be the only really superstar player who was vocal about it at the time when it was happening. He was the only guy that cooperated with the Mitchell Report as well, at least the only active player. I think he would, I remember even remember him and Tony Gwynn, who was uh, vocal about uh, people using as well, being quoted in a piece you wrote in like 93 or 94 saying that steroids were becoming a problem and that the game needed to do something about it. Funny that no one ever did, but those two guys were at least on the record in the early and mid-90s that things were going on and they wanted to see a change. Yeah, the steroids are out of control, right? Yeah, that is a piece in uh, after the LA Times. And uh, and also there a guy, that, uh, Ken Griffey Jr. was huge on that with writers as far as saying, hey, let's do something about this. You know, you guys need to start writing stuff. So I think I put Thomas and Griffey more. Griffey's a little bit more quieter as far as not being so public about it. But behind the scenes, he and Thomas are very vocal about it. So we know you're a yes on Maddox. Thomas, Glavin, Sosa, and McGriff. And by the sounds of that last statement, it sounds like Reigns as well. Uh, yeah, not, no, Reigns didn't make my ballot. I just didn't have room. So don't make, make my ballot. And uh, so the new ones are, yeah, Maddox, Glavin, and Thomas, uh, Biggio, uh, carryover, Fred McGriff, carryover, Jack Morris, Sosa. Plus Bonds, Clemens, and Piazza. Yeah, yeah, and Bonds, yeah, and, Bonds and Clemens, and Piazza, yeah. So that's a no on Kurt Schilling. What don't you like about him? Schilling was a guy that I wasn't sure. When I watched him pitch, I never thought he was a Hall of Famer. And or uh, Pedro Martinez, I said, hey, this guy's a Hall of Famer. You know, I know their numbers aren't that much different. Uh, but just Pedro was such a dominant, dominant guy. Where Schilling was outstanding and Schilling, you know, really shine brightly in the postseason. But I thought those guys were just on two different levels 
right where I think Pedro is an automatic first ballot Hall of Famer. And, you know, too bad he didn't get more wins and stuff like that. But uh, I just put them in two different categories. Uh, showing him over the fence now. I'm not sure I'll ever vote for him. Uh, not that he can't show him, but he had a, a, a very fine career. I'm not sure he was a Hall of Fame career. I don't think Schilling was as good as Pedro or as Randy Johnson either, but I do think his career was very comparable to Tom Glavin's. I think Mike Messina and John Smoltz, who comes on the ballot next year, are actually in that same boat as well. I think all of those guys are deserving to be in the Hall of Fame. It's just that they were overshadowed by Clemens, Johnson, Pedro, and Maddox, who were four of the best pitchers to ever play. Well, I think yeah, I think Smoltz gets in for sure when you know, when his day comes uh, comes up. Uh, but yeah, I mean. You know, the thing about the Mucina, he just had so many more wins than Schilling. You know, Schilling had a uh, rough start to his career, and uh, you know, he he got better at, at in in time, where uh, you know, where Mucina was very steady guy. And I just you know love the fact that Mucina did those wins on the ALEs. I know it's for good teams, but you're still facing some fierce lineups. What suggestions do you have for improving the voting process? Uh, I would be. Even, you know, we've never had a sit down. BBWA is going to have a uh, committee this year, just kind of talk informally about the process. Should it be more than ten, you know, ten spots in the ballot? I, I think the writers need to, you know, at least have discussions. You know, no one, no one has to listen or abide by it, but just on the on the thought process of voting for the PED guys. I just think it's a. Uh, too slip of a slope, and everybody, everybody's kind of uh, splintered off on uh, different tangents. I'm going to wonder what happens when a guy gets in the Hall of Fame and, it's, and it comes out you know, that he used steroids, uh, maybe even admit they used steroids. Do voters suddenly change their mind? Like, okay, once we know the first guy's in, the door's open. Let's let the others in. I asked Richard Justice that same question about improving the voting process when he came on last year, and he suggested taking away the votes from writers who are no longer actively covering the game, who are no longer actively involved in the game. And he estimated that's about 30 to 40 percent of the people involved in the process. What do you think of doing something like that? I know where he's coming from, and there's some guys who are just like, you know, columnists or sports editors for 10 years, on, you know, they're completely out of business. I would like it maybe you're still in the benches or still writing like, okay, still proof that you've done something in the last couple of years. Uh, yeah, the flaw in Richard's argument would be that you know, if you start wiping guys off that are no uh, longer completely active, you'll have some guys that have never seen a, uh, a player perform. Uh, there's a lot of guys now who have never seen Jack Morris pitch or remember how dominant that guy uh, was. So that that's the only bad part about, you know, knocking off guys that have been around in a retired from the business, you know, uh, long time baseball writers, a long time baseball columnist. I want to get your thoughts on what Deadspin did. They purchased a Hall of Fame vote. They had their voters vote for how they wanted the uh, ballot to be filled out. And then that writer said he would submit that ballot. They also said that they would reveal that writer's identity after the election was over. What are your thoughts on Deadspin purchasing a Hall of Fame vote? Well, yeah, I mean, it's such a, uh, uh, not saying the word crime, but yeah, just to do that. I mean, it's a uh, whoever the voter is. If, if this is a, is true, I think the exposed to such shame and embarrassment, this guy's going to have a hard time, uh, you know, overcoming this if he's still involved at all in, in journalism. Uh, you know, you just kind of hope it's not true. That was just this some kind of a PR stunt, and uh, you know. 
he never wants to, you know, come out of that. I mean, you know, you look at the uh, the regular awards, the MVP, Cy Young, you know, there's only 30 voters in that thing. You know, what if a voter does that in that thing? So, you know, it's not going to make a difference. I mean, it's just, you know, one of about 600, you know, ballots. But still, uh, you know, hopefully this isn't true. And, you know, if this is true, then the voter, I'm sure, will be expelled for life. And uh, maybe some kind of process is done to make sure this never happens once again. You've been listening to Bob Nightingale. Bob's ballot is Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin, Frank Thomas, Roger Clemens, Barry Bonds, Mike Piazza, Craig Biggio, Sammy Sosa, Fred McGriff, and Jack Morris. Bob is the national baseball writer for USA Today. You can give him a follow on Twitter at BNightingale. Bob, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. Sure, my pleasure. Thank you, Ron.